Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. Today I'm going to be exploring the history of Marshall, Michigan, founded in 1830. We're going to look into why they settled in Marshall, as well as their early years as a transportation hub and some of the historic buildings and museums around town and some of the other interesting stories, including the Underground Railroad. So come along and join me. Marshall, due to its prime location, was set up for success when it was founded in 1830 by two brothers, Sidney and George Ketchum. As of a kind of a point of reference, Calhoun County was established and organized in 1829, and Marshall was made the county seat in 1831. Most settlements at that time were founded for agricultural or industrial reasons. For example, Battle Creek was founded for industrial reasons with a milling community. But the Ketchum brothers dreamed of a community of professional politicians politicians, doctors, lawyers, and businessmen. With this in mind, they named their town after Chief Justice John Marshall, who served as the fourth Chief Justice of the United States from 1801 to 1835. Of the more than 20 communities named for him, this Marshall is the only town that was named for him before his death. Marshall remains the longest serving chief justice and fourth longest serving justice in Supreme Court history. Because of his popularity at the time, he's widely regarded as one of the most influential justices to ever sit on the Supreme Court. Marshall helped implement the principle of separation of powers and cement the position of the American judiciary as an independent and co-equal branch of government. If you ever get a chance to read a biography on Justice John Marshall, I highly recommend it. I listened to a couple of different audiobooks that were quite extensive into his life. And he was fundamentally important to the establishment of the U.S. Supreme Court. And much of the practices that he implemented in his time are still in use today, including the justices all wearing the same black robes and so forth. Now, the location of Marshall was chosen because of its proximity to the Kalamazoo River and the confluence of Rice Creek, which if you look at a lot of the early towns across lower Michigan, they were settled near rivers for the supply that rivers provided and also for milling purposes, although Marshall was not per se, established on the grounds of becoming in a milling community. But there were lumber mills, if you look in the early history of the city, which is obviously how you build buildings. Now, a particular event that happened early in Marshall's history was the cholera epidemic. This happened around 1832, and it had a significant impact on Marshall. Marshall was located at the western end of the traveling route on Lower Michigan, and travelers were bringing with them cholera, or at least some did, and this is what started the epidemic in Marshall. Or at least it's assumed it had dire ramifications because it wiped out half of the population of Marshall at that point. I did a separate podcast episode on that earlier this year, and it's kind of a fascinating history. But the city of Marshall rebounded from that, of course, and it still exists today. As time went on, it became a major stop on the stagecoach route, and part of that was is when the 
powerful Michigan Central Railroad started coming through Lower Michigan, Marshall was the final stop for many years. And so it became the place where you got off the railroad and got onto the stagecoach and headed west. So Marshall has a rich transportation history during that time period. Surveyors of the early 1800s enlarged the St. Joseph Indian Trail, originally only about a foot wide, to create the St. Joseph Road, and it soon became the main east-west artery into the Michigan Territory for the early settlers. People began referring to the road as the Territorial Road, and the name stuck. The Territorial Road was once divided by a small stream, almost in the middle of the large downtown block in Marshall, separating the village into what is known as the Upper Village, West Side, and the Lower Village, East Side. The stream was soon diverted, and the main road in town became known as State Street. In 1923, the state of Michigan requested that all towns on the main route between Detroit and Chicago change the name of the main street to Michigan Avenue, causing State Street at that time to be renamed. So the The first hotel in Marshall was built in 1832, and this was the Empire House. This was shortly after the settlement, uh, within a few years of the settlement of the village. It was used as a recruiting station for the Mexican War, and it burned down in 1855. Other hotels to find a home in Marshall included the Exchange Hotel. It was on the northwest corner of High Street in East Michigan, where there's a shell station that now stands. There was also the Herndon Hotel and the Royal Hotel, to name a few of them. Now, one of the other ones was the National House Inn. 1835, Colonel Andrew Mann built the National House Inn with wood from Ketchum's Mill and bricks that were molded and fired on site. It's the oldest operating inn in the state of Michigan and the oldest brick building in Calhoun County. It still stands today and it's right in close proximity to the fountain in downtown Marshall. So if you ever go visit and go tour, walk around the fountain, just look across the street there, you will see the National House Inn. And you can still stay there if you're visiting Marshall. Mann's Hotel, as it was known originally, formally opened on New Year's Eve in 1836. It had the first ball to be ever held in Marshall. It was renamed the National House in 1837 when it was leased by Volney Alcott. It served as a circuit court and a county meeting house, and it was was a favorite stop for P.T. Barnum when his circus would come to town and set up on land just west of the inn. It also served as the state headquarters for the Democratic Party, which was the party of choice for the lower village. This fact becomes very interesting when you take into account the Marshall House, which I'm going to go into next. The Marshall House was built in 1838 for an astonishing $30,000 budget at the time, which translates to about $850,000 as of 2021. And it was known as the most elaborate and costly hotel in the state of Michigan at the time. And perhaps it was even the most costly of the entire Northwest Territory. It served as the state headquarters for the Whig Party, the main rival to the Democrat Party at the time. And it was also the rallying point for upper village citizens. 
And if you study this period in time in history, the two main parties obviously were the Whig and the Democrat Party. The Democrat Party was founded by Andrew Jackson, and it had a strong influence in the South as the major plantation holders were all proponents of the Democrat Party. And the Whigs were more of a centralized government type viewpoint. They tended to be a lot more on the abolitionist side of the fence as time moved forward in progression towards the Civil War. In later years, you'll find that the Whig Party transferred and was ultimately dissolved largely to a lot of the efforts of Henry Clay. And um, go into that more in another episode on my podcast about the Adam Crosswhite affair, and I go into some of the details of Henry Clay. Some of the actions that he took kind of caused the breakup of the Whig Party. It created a divide, and the abolitionists were able to move in, and the formation of the Whig Party combined with the Free Soil Party formed the Republican Party. But that's all some of the early political life in that part of the century. So the Marshall House was the home for the Whig Party, and on the opposite side of the fence, and the National House in was kind of the home for the Democrat Party on the on that side of Marshall. Now, the Marshall House was located on the southwest corner of Exchange Street and East Michigan Avenue. The huge building covered the entire block with a wing extending to Green Street. And it it is believed that Richard Upjohn was the architect. Upjohn designed the Trinity Church in New York City. The facade featured fluted columns and balconies and must have been quite a sight to behold for stagecoach travelers. The hotel closed in 1859. After that, the Perrin Collegiate Institute operated out of the building from 1864 to 1869 when it was converted into a private residence and apartments. A fire in 1913 forced the majority of the structure to be removed. It became a funeral home in 1943, which operated until 1990. At one time, Harold Brooks purchased the building to save it from destruction. Quilts at Marshall House operate out of that building today. So the Marshall House and the National House are still standing in Marshall, and they both have historic markers in front of them. Now, I'm going to talk about one other inn here. It was called the Stagecoach Inn. This building at 201 West Michigan was... It has worn many hats over the years. In 1836, it was a shoe store. In 1840, it was a livery stable. In 1841, it housed a newspaper. And in 1844, it was known as Mechanics Hall Meeting Place, which was on the second floor. Next to the building became a store and then a Baptist church. And finally, in 1850, the second floor was converted into a hotel. The main floor became an eating house for the railroad, and by 1857, it was a saloon. It suffered several fires and was christened with many names. One name that stuck a long time was the Tontine Hotel, by which it was known from 1879 until 1908. Albert Schuler bought the building in 1920 and then sold it to Harold Brooks in 1929, who saved and renovated this building. It was leased to Tom Brooks in 1951, who named it the Stagecoach. During Prohibition, there was a puzzling sign in the window that said, The 1st of May will be the last of August. In 1928, the local police, led by the Calhoun County Sheriff Albert Schuler, 
held a sting operation on the building during which they found a blind pig in the basement containing several gallons of illegal whiskey. The term blind pig was a popular term during the Prohibition era, which referred to a speakeasy or a place that sold alcoholic beverages, which was illegal. Apparently, the bartender's name was August, so the sign that said 1st of May will be the last of August was something to do with that raid coming, I suppose. Or maybe uh, old August saw it coming, posted the sign. Uh, Either way, it's kind of a funny story from the period of Prohibition that there were many across the county during that time period. So moving forward in time, the first wood-fired engine arrived in Marshall in 1844 on the Michigan Central Railroad. It took 40 minutes to travel from Albion to Marshall, which was the end of the line for a couple of years. In 1850, the local newspaper announced that a new depot had been built because Marshall was now the central location on the route stretching from Detroit to New Buffalo. Train engines would go no further than 100 miles at a time without overheating. So trains would stop in Marshall, have their engines switched to fresh ones, let the old ones cool down. And the new depot also featured a machine shop and a lunchroom. And this came into play for quite a bit in the county because it put Marshall, being more centrally located in the county, ahead of Battle Creek and even Albion because of the machine shop. And one of the things that the passengers learned when they stopped in Marshall is they could get off the train and run into the station, order a chicken pot pie, and get back on the train before it left the station. Thus, Marshall became known as the chicken pot pie stop which is kind of an interesting point in history. Uh, Another thing about this period of time was that the first telegraph office in Marshall was established in 1845 by Erie and Michigan Telegraph Company. However, a telegraph was not installed at the railroad depot until 1856, forcing trains to run by time cards until that point in time. Now, Marshall has another interesting point of history, um, the Brotherhood of Locomotive Engineers. Originally called the Brotherhood of the Footboard, the oldest railroad union in the United States was brought into being in Marshall on May 8th. 1863. There is a memorial to this historic union at the corner of Mansion Street and East Michigan Avenue across from the VFW Hall today. In 1873, the rail yards moved to Jackson along with the union offices and the trains no longer stopped in Marshall. Years later, Marshall's roundhouse was removed to the Henry Ford Museum where it resides today. Another chapter in Marshall's transportation history is the interurban. In 1899, Marshall was granted an interurban franchise license, which allowed it to construct an electric railroad on the streets of Marshall that extended all the way from Battle Creek to Jackson, a distance of 47 miles. Later, that distance would be extended to go to Kalamazoo and to Detroit, where it connected with other electric lines. The train cars looked like trolley cars and carried both passengers and freight. A depot was built at 216, also 218, and 220 West Michigan Avenue, where Fountain Automotive now operates in Marshall, not far from the Fountain up on Michigan Avenue. If you look at the northeast corner of this building, you'll see a corner from the original depot still standing, 
that now houses Walter's Gasoline Museum. An interurban mural can be viewed from the parking lot, and that was painted by Dennis McKean around 2015, where there once stood carpet and soap advertisements back in the day. The interurban cars stopped and made their last trip in the Marshall in July of 1929. And the interurban ran all the way to Kalamazoo. It ran through downtown Battle Creek, and it followed its way all the way to St. Joseph at one point. You could take an interurban route up into Grand Rapids as well. And interurbans were all over Michigan at one point, and they got kind of phased out when the automobile became introduced And I think a lot of that had to do with the automobile manufacturers trying to force out the interurban to get people into cars. And I've had some people comment on that when I did an interurban video about a year ago. And they said that part of the strategy by the automotive companies was to buy out interurban stock and shut them down. And um, of course, there's also there's also argument to say that there was declining passenger numbers by 1929 as well. So it's probably something you'd have to have been there and gone through the time to really understand exactly what was going on. But there are a lot of great old photos out there on the interurban cars from cities all over Michigan. And interurbans were used all over the country. So there's interurbans that were still in existence in Ohio. There's still a few communities like New Orleans and San Francisco that still have those type of trolley cars and similar types of electric trains uh, still in operation. Now, Marshall also has a legacy of innovative educational ideas for the state. In 1835, two early Marshall residents, Isaac Crary and Reverend John Pierce, developed a public school system for Michigan, which became a model for the entire country. And Isaac Crary was one of the recruits that the Ketchum brothers brought to Marshall from Connecticut. He immediately became Michigan's first territorial representative and then the first state representative in the U.S. House of Representatives. Remember the early vision that I talked about at the beginning of this episode that the Ketchum brothers had for Marshall. And some of the ideas that Crary and Pierce had about the innovation of educational ideas included coordinating elementary schools within districts, putting libraries inside schools, and establishing teaching qualifications. All of these things can be found today in public school systems across the country. So in that way, Marshall was way ahead of the curve on a lot of these original ideas and things that impacted the entire nation. Another little interesting note about Marshall is there was a stately large oak tree that was located in the downtown area, and it was chosen by Reverend John Pierce and Isaac Crary for their discussions of the founding of the educational system for the territory that was to become Michigan. And a statue of the founders of this public education, both Pierce and Crary, were carved from the original oak tree in the 1970s because the the original tree had fallen due to disease. And the carving now is in the main lobby of the Marshall Middle School, which you can go see and admission is free to see it, but you have to check with the school office before viewing the statue. So make sure you do that. Don't just wander into the school. Now, I mentioned the Adam Crosswhite Affair. I have done an entire episode on this podcast on that subject, as well as a video on my YouTube channel. So I won't dwell on it too long, but Marshall was a key stop 
stop along the Underground Railroad. When they came from the west, they arrived in Cass County originally, then they were transported over to Schoolcraft, and then on to Climax. And sometimes they took a little different route through Mendon, but they primarily came through Climax. And then from Climax, they went to Battle Creek. Aristus Hussey was the station master along that part of the way in Battle Creek. And I've also done some episodes on this podcast on him as well. And then they went on to Marshall. And from Marshall, they would be transported to Parma, Jackson, and through Ann Arbor and on into Detroit, where they would cross over into Canada. And there was another stop along the way in Grass Lake, I believe. This whole activity was done in secrecy, so there's not a lot of written historical records about it. The best description that we have from any historical record are interviews that Aristus Hussey gave into the Sunday Morning Call several years after the close of the Civil War, where he described some of the activities, and he named a lot of the station masters along that route, um, and some of the conductors as well. And there was roughly about a thousand fugitives that came through the Underground Railroad on this central route in Michigan over the years during the time period that it was in operation. Adam Crosswhite was one of those. He came with his family, but when he arrived in Marshall, he found the community to be very welcoming, and he ended up settling there and decided to remain, thinking that he'd gone far enough away where the slave catchers would not come after him. But they ultimately did, and there was a whole incident where they showed up in town, they tried to take the family away, and the residents of Marshall prevented that from happening. And they managed to stall the slave catchers in long enough so that they could get them out of town. A similar incident happened over in Cass County, where there was Kentucky slave catchers came through, and they came through in much larger quantities than what happened in Marshall. But the incident in Marshall triggered a lot of legal actions after because the Kentucky slave hunters sued three of the businessmen that were in Marshall, accusing them of being responsible for the issue. And that triggered a lot of events that followed. So if you want to know more about that, I'll put the link to my video that goes into pretty much the historical timeline on that, which that incident here in Marshall was probably the first stone thrown in the pond that ultimately led to the Civil War. So it was quite a significant event, this Adam Crosswhite affair. So it's impossible to encapsulate the city of Marshall all in one episode. It has a lot of tremendous history. There's a lot of historic buildings and mansions. And that's one thing that of all the communities in Calhoun County, Marshall is known for. They have done a very wonderful job on preserving a lot of their historic buildings and original mansions and properties. And they've gotten a lot of them onto the National Registry of Historic Places. So if you drive around Marshall, there are a lot of historic markers in front of different houses and buildings that had historical significance from the early founding of the county. A popular tourist destination in Marshall and a popular location for anybody wanting to do any dining in Marshall or Calhoun County is to go to Schuler's Restaurant. You can't live in this area without having heard about Schuler's Restaurant. And it's a wonderful historic building 
and they've just recently, in recent years, celebrated their 100th anniversary. So it's a very long established. That's the Schuler's Restaurant and Pub located near the downtown area of Marshall. Now, Marshall has a lot of museums in town. There's the well-known Honolulu House Museum, which has its own story unto itself. There's the Marshall Historical Museum, which was the old G.A.R. Hall. There's also the Governor's Mansion, and there's even some museums at the Calhoun County Fairgrounds. Then if you want to look at a historic landmark place, look at Oak Ridge Cemetery. There's quite a bit of historic markers out there, as well as uh, a lot of rich history walking around that cemetery. Now, I also mentioned the Walters Gasoline Museum, which is located in the old interurban depot area. But there's a couple of other museums that you want to check out if you can go and see when they're open is the American Museum of Magic, which is in downtown Marshall, and also the United States Postal Museum. Not a lot of people know about that one. I've mentioned it in some of my earlier podcasts when I discussed the post office lines that ran through Marshall and Battle Creek. There is a U.S. Postal Museum in the basement of the post office there, and I think you have to go there and ask for an appointment. You may have to call ahead of time on that one, but uh, definitely worth checking out and putting on your list. So Marshall's got a lot of great museums in the downtown area. Additionally, they also have a historic home tour that usually happens in September, and I think they had stopped doing that for a couple of years because of COVID, but I've heard in the rumor mill that they're going to be starting to do that again real soon. So that will be something to look forward to because you can see the inside of a lot of national historic landmark homes that are in the Marshall area on this annual historic tour. And they do things like the historic homes walk, and then they have also some other walks like historic downtown walk, and then there's a Capitol Hill walk. So a lot of this information can be found on the choosemarshall.com website. And they have a great section of history, and most of that I've been pulling from today in today's podcast. And it's been a recently updated historical section on their website. They've done a remarkable job to codify and make simple for people coming in here to learn some of the history of Marshall. And it's just really well done. Another website that you can check out is the Marshall Historical Society. And they go into some of the same points that I covered that's on the other site. And they've got some great pictures on here as well as they have events from the Marshall Historical Society. So in addition to not only having these wonderful historic buildings and award-winning hospitality businesses like Schuler's and Downtown Marshall, and they have a lot of great retail shops. They've done a wonderful job of preserving their old original historic downtown. And when you go there these days, there are shops open on most every building. You don't see a lot of vacancies in downtown Marshall. So they've done quite a good job with their business district on keeping it alive, which is a far cry above a lot of the old historic uh, downtown districts in a lot of old communities. So Marshall has done very well in that regard. And it's a great place to go shopping for antiques and clothing and all sorts of things that they have down there. And they've got some good balance of restaurants and they've got the museums downtown that you can see as well. So perhaps of all the towns in Southwest Michigan, I would say Marshall is one of my top favorites to go for either business or pleasure and just taking time to walk around and enjoy some of the activities, some of the events that you'll find. They have car 
shows and they have a blues festival and a whole lot of other activities around the fountain at different times of the year. So you can check out some of their calendar at the Chamber of Commerce that they have as well as the Choose Marshall website has a lot of that information as well. It's just a wonderful community. And like I said, they've done a good job of preserving their history, and it makes it one of the most interesting historical places in Calhoun County for sure. So that's going to do it for today's journey through history. If you'd like to reach out to me, you can reach out to me at uh, michaeldelaware.com and send me a message. I'm always happy to hear from you. There's also something I'll tell you is I, I have options on there where you can donate to the work that I'm doing. You can make a direct donation or you can uh, buy something on my merchandise store. If you like uh, hoodies and sweatshirts and things with funny or interesting historical sayings on there, I know a lot of people out there doing podcasts and YouTube channels have all kinds of merchandise available. And I, and I try to keep up with some of that. I fund all of the work that I do myself. So occasionally I get some donations from my listeners. I have had some wonderful people that have made some donations along the way that have helped out some of my work and it certainly keeps uh keeps me going when i get a little bit of that coming back in um but i'm not doing it for the money i'm doing it for the preservation of history which i consider to be very important to the future generations and i really really want to instill a an importance on learning about the past with future generations. So much of that has been lost in the educational systems today. You don't see the topic as a history class in school anymore. You see things like social studies, which changed way back in the 70s, and it kind of morphed into something else, and you don't have schools teaching local history or even state history at the high school or elementary school level anymore. And I think that's really important. So a lot of the work that I'm doing is trying to research some of the forgotten history of different communities and bring it to light to people so that they can share this information, learn something about the community or area they live in. And with that, they'll gain a sense of pride and they want to preserve it and encourage other people to preserve it. And I think when you start preserving history, there's a lot of good that comes with it because it brings in tourism, which brings in an economic result from that. And being a realtor myself, there's communities that do a lot of preservation and work on preserving their history seem to do better than others that do not. And historically, that's probably a case across anywhere in the country. Um, I once drove through Dodge City on my way back to um, Michigan one time. I was coming from Arizona. Whenever I planned a trip across country, I would always try to stop in places that had some kind of historical significance on my way back. I'm just like that. And I always heard about Dodge City growing up. You know, you have all gun smoke and everything else. So I wanted to see Dodge City. And there's a perfect example of a city that has not capitalized on their historic element like they should. And if you drive through Dodge City, and I drove through it probably about four years ago, and it was very sad. There was a lot of vacant buildings, a lot of uh, modern commercialization, but vacant. I mean, there was just the biggest impression I had driving through Dodge City and staying there overnight was that there really wasn't anything to do as a tourist. Now, granted, I was going through around the Christmas to New Year's holiday season, but there was a lot of closed restaurants, a lot of closed shops. There was a few shops that were kind of interesting, 
And there was a recreated set of Gunsmoke that was kind of a tourist trap, and it was semi-historic, and it was kind of interesting. But for the most part, there really wasn't much there for the tourist. And that I found disappointing. And it's quite the opposite with Marshall that's preserved their history. And on the return trip one year, I also went through St. Joseph, Missouri, because it was the eastern terminus of the Pony Express. And I'd heard about that, and I wanted to go see the Pony Express Museum and see some of the landmarks around town. And St. Joseph did a fairly good job of impressing me as a tourist. They have statues to the Pony Express in downtown. They had a great museum and just a lot of little interesting parks and things for the short time that I was there. And once again, it was around the December, the late December period. So I, I understand. Also Hannibal, Missouri. I went through there and they have capitalized a lot on the old Mark Twain and the unsinkable Molly Brown characters that came out of that town. And so you see a lot of Mark Twain Hotel and Mark Twain Museum, and there's a couple of references to Molly Brown in town. And so they've done a fairly good job of preserving some of their downtown history. They could do a little bit better. There's a couple of vacant buildings down there, but they're working on it as a community to improve that. And I talked to some of the, the people that were, I was staying at a bed and breakfast, and I talked to um, one of the guys who was who owned the bed and breakfast I was staying at. He was a member of the Chamber of Commerce, and he was telling me a lot of the plans they had for Hannibal. Now, sadly, this was just a couple years before 2020, so I'm not sure how they're doing today. I haven't been back that way in a long time. On the subject of historic preservation, I find it very important. And I think it means a lot to future generations. So if you'd like to support the work that I'm doing, uh, feel free to make a donation on my website. I'm going to continue doing the work that I do. I only recover maybe 1% of the money I invest in this work. And, and I knew that going into it. And it'd be a long time before this podcast or my YouTube channel is up to the level where it financially supports me and the work I do. But I'm trying to keep the quality there for Michigan history and keeping my target zone on Southwest Michigan history. And, you know, I do a lot around Battle Creek and I intend to do a lot more uh, videos on Marshall and Albion as the year progresses. And I've got some plans to do some cemetery tours on those cities. I'm working on some more projects. Uh, I just finished up a bunch of projects for the city of Athens, for example and East Leroy, circling back and doing a historic project right now on Oak Hill Cemetery to do some more videos on that. And then I'll probably be moving over to Marshall and Albion. And I might pick up Tacancha in there too, because there's some interesting stories I'm discovering on that area too. That's kind of what I've got going on. I just thought I would tell you about that. Hope I haven't kept you too long, but thanks for listening and hope you'll join me next time as we take another journey into yesterday and explore another great tale of Southwest Michigan's past. Thank you for listening.